Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Why adfreeshows.com? It's simple. It's early and ad-free. Why wait for your favorite shows to drop when you can listen as soon as they stop recording? There's no need to wait. You can access it all before anyone else can. Plus, no ads. No one telling you what to bundle or how to keep that man part standing tall. None of that. It's just straight content from all your favorite hosts, including Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Kurt Angle, and the rest of the team. That's not all. You also get immediate access to watching their reactions live on video as well. So don't put it off any longer. Do it now. You won't be disappointed. Start enjoying all the podcasts you love early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. Hey, listen up. If you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, what are you waiting for? Hurry to save with Conrad.com. We're routinely helping wrestling fans just like you all across the country save more money than they ever thought possible. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But what's best about SaveWithConrad.com? It's the experience. Don't take my word for it. Check out all the five-star reviews over at ConradReviews.com. Michael up in Akron, Ohio, gave us five stars and said Jimmy and Jennifer were great to work with. They always responded right away whenever I had any questions. We got another five-star review from Robert in New Jersey. Another five-star review from Judith in North Carolina. What about a five-star from Nicholas in South Carolina? Or a five-star from Stephanie in Indiana? Or a five-star from Corey in Florida? We want to save you money. We want to show you how to keep more of your own money. And we're routinely helping podcast listeners just like you. Save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you can do it too right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course we couldn't do it without the hall of famer himself. Double J Jeff Jarrett, Jeff, how are you, man? Connie, how are we doing today? I'm uh, pretty excited. You know, the temperature dropping a little bit. I don't say chill is in the air. It was a hot weekend. I had it here on old Hickory Lake. I don't know if you got a chance to look at my Instagram, but there was a guy running up and down the water doing about 80 miles an hour. So it was a fine sight to see, but I'm ready to tackle the subject today. Wait, wait, wait. Was the guy on the lake? Was that Brad? <laughs> no, it wasn't Brad. <laughs> that, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> well, I was just asking. I don't know. I don't know what it, you're doing. It was not. It, it was not. He was, uh, but he was, uh, man, he's 
burned through a lot of fuel. So, Hey, I want to mention, we had uh, a phenomenal uh, response to what we did last week when we, we talked about, I don't know. I think it was maybe an underrated topic, but 2006, the doggone building catches on fire. So it looks as hard justice, 2006, man, everywhere I looked, I saw great feedback and great reviews for that. A TNA topic here on the show. How about that? Well, how about that? And you know, as we discussed and, and, and I saw it as well online, lots of it, and just the follow-up and the video of it, it wasn't another wrestling story. It was, yes. And there was a lot of moving parts as far as the event, but an actual fire in a studio and evacuating and never went off the air and kept the share go show going and, and, and back to the arena and we finished the night. So yeah, it's, um, as, as we weave in and out of my world, uh, it is, it's, that was a, that was a fascinating event. And as I look back on it, uh, I don't, I don't think, uh, probably in the week, uh, that actually followed the event that I would uh, be sitting here 15 years later and looking back on it so fondly because, uh, we all persevered, but, uh, yeah, good story. Today's another story that we're going to, man, we're going to take some twi- t- twists and turns. And I was trying to look over some notes and jog my memory and tank Abbott came up and the David Letterman show came up and the origins of DDP yoga, uh, Hollywood, Scott Kahn, Martin Landau, dude, we got a lot to cover today. Well, let's jump into it. Of course, the title of our show is all about David Arquette. He's going to, of course, become the world champion and unbelievably you're there for that too. You might be, I've often joked that I was like the Forrest Gump of pro wrestling, but you might be on that short list with me. Like, how do you keep popping up in all these places? Oh, Conrad, as I walked up there, uh, to my office slash studio, um, we got to name this studio, Conrad, when are we going to name it? When are we going to get the team? We got a lot of fun things going on, but that's another story. Um, anyway, as, uh, as you've been here and I walked up those little few short steps, uh, over on the piano, there is a nice eight by 10 of David, uh, Arquette standing on top of the triple cage and DDP climbing one corner and I'm climbing another and it's a cool photo and it sort of tells the story of the finish. And, um, so now you're calling me Forrest Gump that just, it took me about a minute, but you're calling me Forrest Gump. I said that I was the four, like I have no business being in all these major moments in wrestling. And yet here I am, you know, brushing up against, uh, some real wrestling legends and I'm a mortgage guy from Alabama. I should not be here. And Forrest was from Alabama. So I often refer to myself as like the Forrest Gump of wrestling. Cause what, right. the, what the hell am I doing? But <laughs> I, I'm sure you probably felt in a similar fashion here because David Arquette, well, his journey through WCW really starts with him filming ready to rumble. And the mm-hmm. movie is, is filmed before you're in WCW. It's going to feature DDP and Goldberg very heavily. Uh, but I'm sure you're going to see the movie. Did you get to see a screening of it before it was out or did you go to the theater and see it? Or how do you remember seeing ready to rumble? And here's when I was at the WWF the time, I remember hearing about the filming and you know, like, okay, is this going to be straight to DVD? You know what, what, but no, this is a major release with con and Mark, like I said, the actors in it. And, um, What's his name? Oliver Platt. I mean, there was some, 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 some big actors and a big production. And obviously the AOL time Warner machine was going to be behind it. And then 
you know, coming over and getting to hear uh, different pieces, uh, Greg Helms and and Canyon and others that were a part of working through, I'll call it the stunts and all that kind of stuff. But no, I actually went to the premiere in Hollywood. That's the first time I'd seen it. Obviously, I'd heard a lot about it, but uh, that's the first time I'd seen it. And that's actually the first time I met David. So what'd you think of the movie? You know, uh, as you are aware now, as we've uh, continued our budding friendship, I'm not a big movie guy. I, I just, I'm not, I love to watch sports and I love to watch um, documentaries and, and nonfiction stuff. So uh, you can't really, Road Dog used to make fun of me that my two favorite, couple of favorite movies were Smokey and the Bandit and <laughs> a few others. But, um, you know, no, when I watched it, it's a major motion picture, I, I think. Oh, I say I'm not going to act like I know what others think, but I thought I thought it was a, a bit corny, um, a bit campy. Um, and uh, as I have said uh, many times, I put on my promoter cap and I thought, are people going to pay to see this? <laughs> That's what I thought. First time I saw it, I just like, mm, I'm not a movie guy, so I'm not the, the, the expert. But uh, the plot, I, I, I'll say. um Look, and I've been around a lot of bad wrestling stories, <laughs> so a lot of bad angles, uh, but but I'm not the judge and I'm not the critic and I'm not Siskel and Ebert. But uh, I wasn't uh, oh, I wasn't over the moon about uh, is this going to be a box office smash? Your old boy, uh, Jimmy Wang Yang, I ran into him at the NWA pay-per-view in St. Louis. Love and he flying can Elvis. I'd like oh, yeah, I my apology, the flying Elvis himself. <laughs> uh, and, and he acts, by the way, he listens to the show. And the way I know that is when he approached me, he says, Hey, Conrad, nice to meet you. Sorry. I'm not Sonny Siaki, which is an inside joke. When we talked about the flying Elvises, I, I said, I was convinced or my uncle was convinced when he first saw Sonny Siaki, he's like, Oh, this is their rock. <laughs> but, uh, so Jimmy remembered yep. that and reminded me anyway, he contends that ready to rumble is the best movie ever made which tells you all you need to know about Jimmy. It's not even the best wrestling movie ever made. Clearly no holds barred was better. Where do you land on that? No holds barred or ready to rumble again. I'm not a movie guy. Uh, so I'm gonna, um, you know, we're either one of them the best at anything. No, uh, which need more money, uh, oh, as no. I did my little search, um, ready to rumble cost 25 million to make and did 12 and a half at the box office. So there are some winners and losers in the world of entertainment. And this would be uh, <clears throat> red ink. Uh, the, uh, no holds barred. Now, again, they're 10 years apart in release dates, right? Uh, yep. no holds barred did 16 million at the gate, but supposedly it only costs 8 million to make. So as your dad right. would say, uh, it's not necessarily what you make. It's what you keep. And I think, uh, I think Vince made more money on no holds barred than, uh, than they made brothers yeah. <laughs> lost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into it. Uh, the promotion is obviously all over the movie. It's going to be highlighted on WCW programming, but unfortunately it's smack dab in the middle of the reset where Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff are brought together to quote unquote, fix WCW. And we touched on it briefly. And when we talked in the archives about Hulk Hogan's situation at bash at the beach, 2000 with you, but what were you told were the plans for the millionaires club and the new blood flat, uh, faction when that whole creative bubbles up. Um, and I, when it, the first I heard of it and it's not just from, from Russo, but from 
you know, and I, I don't want to name names and, and mistake them, but but off the top of my head, a, a, a Terry Taylor and just the different players that were around um, that, hey, it's, you know, uh, sort of organic storyline, a little bit based off truth, which is right up uh, my alley. Um, and so, you know, with the, with the specific dates and talent, uh, at this point, yes, disgruntled and, uh, WWF, uh, literally kicking the dog crap, you know, it was, they were on a roll. Uh, and so the reset was welcomed, uh, on multiple levels. Uh, but I thought the, the foundation of the storyline, I thought was very good. Now getting everybody to play ball, uh, different just thing. contractually whole different ball game. Were you ever told about David Arquette plans at that point? None. Okay. I, I just knew that there was going to be integration and to promote the movie and rightly so. And again, it's, it's publicity and, you know, I had no idea the direction we were going to go in the triple cage and he's going to be world. Champion. Nobody knew that up until Tony Shivani opened his mouth, but we'll get to that in a little while. But, but no, I had no idea. Um, just knew that there's going to be a lot of cross promotion, which I thought was a good thing. So you're the United States champion when the reset happens and Sid vicious is the world champion. And of course, all the champions are forced to vacate their titles and tournaments are scheduled for all the championships. Did you know at that point they were going to try to position you as the world champion or were you just clocking in and let's see what they got me doing today. Vince. I'm trying to think who else would have been a part because he didn't have that conversation solo. I don't recall, but it was, I knew that I was in the running. We're going to reset this thing. Um, Eric and, and Vince are going to be the figureheads, which was the great, you know, I, I think they're both uh, can be very good on camera. I, I think Eric in his narrating play by play, I don't want to say play by play, but you know, in the, the, the height, when he was at the desk and the NWO deal, I thought that was really good. So I was pretty uh, jazzed up. And when you looked at the, uh, the new blood, um, I think buff and Shane Douglas and, and I'm sure there's a couple others, but we did have a lot of young guys in that group. So I don't want to say I was the, the senior guy, but I was coming off of WWF television, um, arguably pretty red hot. Uh, I knew I had a shot to either, be in that U S title world title, but I don't think they had decided on anything quite yet. So you're in the ring, April 10th, it's Denver. This is the, uh, I guess we'll call it the reset nitro mm -hmm. and the observer would write this. The show opened with most of the wrestlers in the ring for a, a team meeting. Jarrett introduced Russo as the guy who turned the WWF around and called him Vince McMahon's best kept secret. Is that you freestyling or was that scripted for you by Russo? I, I feel pretty certain it would be scripted, but you know, and I've at, been asked about this and, and other type, like, Oh my God, you really said that, but well, it wasn't untrue, you know? Well, no, I mean, and I don't want to just sort of land just on, on this actual promo, but it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe for Vince hedge. Look, it's all, you know, it's a story. It's well, and, and, and the viewer doesn't, care most importantly, or doesn't really look into, Oh, I wonder, wonder who wrote that. Right. Did you freestyle it? Or I, I don't, I don't think they go that far down, but, um, again, I looked at it in context of 
this is the reset. Let's pour the gas. And I say that let's pour all the heat we can on the players of new blood. You defeat Kurt Henning in a non-title match with the help of a debuting Sean Stasiak. Uh, what are your favorite memories of uh, Sean Stasiak, AKA meat? Did you ever meat. consider him for uh, impact wrestling? He's a buddy of mine. You know, he, um, I don't say left, but it went from his meat days to WCW. And then he went off into the chiropractic world. We remain buddies to this day. Um, you know, as, as a talent or a performer, I always thought that he had the tools, but he would never, I don't want to say relax, but, but, but gather himself. And what is that character? Who is Sean Stasiak as a performer? Um, I don't think I've ever really been clear on who he is as a performer. Great guy, smart guy, runs a hell of a business in his chiropractics out in DFW. Uh, they're also going to show some scenes from ready to rumble and the premiere, which would give us glimpses of Rena Mero, Jason Hervey. They also show David Arquette with the help from DDP, uh, hitting Jarrett with a guitar to set up the thunder angle. So talk us through what you're told to do at that whole ready to rumble premiere. And was that the first time you actually met David Arquette? Uh, yes. So out there at the premiere, uh, I remember we were on top of a hotel during the day and we were just going to sort of get together and, and it wasn't anything for, formal, but I can remember going, okay, David Arquette, Arquette family, um, you know how, well, maybe you don't, but you know, as me meeting another wrestler, I don't care. I, I can remember the first time I, like I met handsome Jimmy Valiant, you know, he, he walks out on stage and he's the, the boogie woogie man and, and all that. But if you see him in the dressing room, he barely says a word and talks real low and come here, brother. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, exactly. He, but, but, but Hey man, I, I got a lot of risk, you know, handsome Jimmy would, would go right into a story, but that was sort of natural to me. Uh, me meeting David the first time I'm like, okay, here's a, a Hollywood family. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Then when you meet Dave, he's the nicest guy in the world, laid back, uh, really cool dude. And, um, it, it was a lot of fun. You could tell that, um, I don't say he was fandom, but he respected the industry was excited about it. Uh, and then, you know, we, we had to sort of talk through, uh, what we were doing at the premiere that night. So the show ends with you having been announced as getting a bye to the finals of the world turn world title tournament. Uh, DDP is going to beat sting in three minutes and 42 seconds after Vampiro turns on sting and you end up hitting Kimberly with a guitar when DDP moves and it turns into a gigantic brawl at the end of the show. Uh, we haven't talked about it before. How was DDP with Kimberly taking a guitar shot? I love Dallas has always been business. Now, uh, he, he's a fantastic self-promoter. He is a businessman. Um, he is a super, um, goal oriented. I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve that. Look, you know, I, me and Dallas met each other in the late eighties when he was a manager of Pat Tanaka and Paul diamond. So that's how far we, back we went. But as far as Kimberly, he was all business and, and, um, as you said that, I don't want to skip over it. So I got to buy because me and Henning, me and Kurt had a DQ thrown out and that's how I got put in the finals. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I, I, I just thinking again, going through the notes and Conrad, I, I'll let you uh, weave us through this, but going from the Denver show, man, we're going to get into a real mess, aren't we? <laughs> it's sometimes a bit confusing and then that, but, but uh, no, to answer your question, Dallas was always very professional with Kimberly and Kimberly herself was very professional. I want to make it clear, not that it matters, but you actually beat Kurt Henning. You got to buy because there was uh, you know, your heel and there's some other things that happened, but it wasn't a DQ that got us wrestling there. Logic. Yeah. Okay, wrestling wrestling logic. logic. Yeah. Uh, so whoever, anyway, let's move on. doesn't matter. Inconsequential. Don't go up like you did last week about, well, some of these sidebars you try to go down. It's like, there's no payoff, but there was another match scheduled and then they got thrown out. And because there wasn't a winner in that one, then you advance, but I'm glad we took four minutes to explain that. Cause it doesn't matter. Conrad, damn. No. <laughs> so thunder the next night in Colorado Springs, WCW has David Arquette at the show for the first time on camera in person. Uh, Ric Flair is going to beat Buff Bagwell by DQ in uh, three minutes and eight seconds. When Russo dressed up in a sting costume with a bat at ringside next to David Arquette hit the ring and beat up Flair with a bat. So yes, Russo dressed up like sting. Yeah, whatever. Here uh, we go. So for your match on the show, it's three Villanos versus sting and you're one of them. Oh. Uh, the observer would write. What was really funny is seeing the two Villanos from Mexico and Jarrett together. And that Jarrett was actually tiny next to the Mexican cruiserweights who were considered too small to be taken seriously. Sting pinned them both. Jarrett then crashed the guitar on Sting and unmasked. Paige ran in and hit Jarrett with a diamond cutter, but Sting pinned him in two minutes and 28 seconds. So on the same doggone show, you got Russo dressed up like you, like Sting, and you dressed up like a Volano. But you and the Volano sounds awesome. I wish we would have seen more of that in TNA. So. There's a picture that floats around online. I'll find it. I, cause I used to, I, I still do have that, but good old fiction writer, Dave saying, I look tiny, bless his heart, just bless his heart, which is funny, but, uh, I love those guys. And that, that ain't the, I remember the angle the night it was fun because their outfits and we kind of look similar. It wasn't, people didn't know, oh, there's double J up in the ring. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the storyline, if you just want to encapsulate just a segment was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was an awful lot of fun, but see, that's what I'm saying is you're reading that reporting and accurately that Vince was dressed up like sting and I'm dressed up like a, a, a tiny Viano and we're going to do this. And it's uh man, here we go. We're all over the place, but the, the story and look at those guys. Um, we used to do those WCW Saturday night tapings in 96, 97 at universal studios and God rest his soul, Bobby Eaton and me would sit out back and talk Andy Griffith. But um, at that time, there was a, you know, the, the influx of, of cruiserweight. So there, you know, and Conan had brought in a, a lot, but that's the first time I believe I'd met the Vianos. So to get to do this angle and we had fun with it. We had a lot of fun with it that night. It tickles me that during the replay, when they're trying to show a replay, <laughs> Instead, they show a replay of you hitting sting with a guitar, which did not happen on this night, but that's, of course. W, that's WCW here from the main event. Finally, DDP wrestled Bigelow and we had another ref bump page hit the diamond cutter and Bischoff came out, counted to two and stopped Jarrett hit page with a guitar shot. Arquette finally did his run in with them explaining that Arquette is now close friends with page. Arquette took a hell of a bump over the top. 
but then even though he looks to be about 150 pounds, Jarrett couldn't pick him up for a body slam because he mistimed his jump before he clumsily got dropped on the rail. And then Jarrett gave Arquette the stroke. So the deal is you're trying to single-handedly kill David Arquette. Tell the truth. Yes. Uh, I, I was just because we were inside the railing. I knew that I could get away with at least, you know, manslaughter, maybe not murder. It certainly wasn't going to be premeditated because I could prove that it wasn't in the script. Just go into WCW, uh, uh, you know, formatting. Uh, there was not <laughs> good God. God. Well, everybody knew how, how, you know, with how little you were, I mean, the Volano is just towering tiny. over you. Yeah. You were tiny. I, I tiny and I couldn't pick up good old Dave. I'd love to watch this back. I, this is a just the the bits and pieces. If we could do watch alongs on this, I couldn't pick Dave up. He missed time to jump. So of course, in in this world of professional wrestling, I wasn't strong enough to lift him. But you know, put Beetlejuice in the ring with me or Gary Coleman, and I could get both of them up at the same time. That's the kind of tiny strength I have. Wait, is that why they booked you with Beetlejuice? Because they knew it was finally someone you could pick up. Johnny. <sighs> <laughs> we're off to a grand start here so but this is the first time on camera because seriously when i looked at the sort of the body of this david arquette episode to weave it in and out for because we're going to get to the point where arquette turns on his buddy and i become champion i'm not trying to give it away but this is the first time on camera because they had done the movie. This shit's already so damn confusing. Apologize for my potty mouth, but Jesus, here we go. So this is the first time on WCW air that DDP and Arquette are together. Correct? Yes. This is the first time he's been to a show like this and they're positioning that, you know, Hey, he's a, he's a friend of Dallas's at this point. Did you know that Arquette was going to win the world title or when did you find out? Nobody knew that. That's what I just alluded to it. In well, I didn't know, like, I, like at that point, after he's physically involved, I feel, it feels like you, you sort of tiptoe, right. And you, you try to, what's the expression you crawl before you walk type of deal. Walk, so when, when he's involved physically and he comes back to the back and he's digging it and he's, oh man, that was awesome. And maybe it didn't go perfect, but he had a great time because there's a chance that a celebrity tries some of this stuff and it's like man, that hurt. I ain't never doing this again. Right. And yeah. so when they go the other way and they really like it, the people in the back start saying, Hey, what if, do you remember that being the, I, and uh, you phrased it right. I don't remember. Hey, what ifs at all going down the road of making him not only the world champion, but really having anything other than a, we'll call it, uh, to make it relevant, a, a bad bunny tag or a Gronkowski appearance, or, you know, it, look it, it just at this time, probably less than a year ago, I was in the ring with Ben Stiller and we covered that on a re recent episode. Yeah. So some cross promotion of a movie, get in, get out, highlight the, whatever we're selling the movie. Also like Stiller, Stiller helped get me over the, the, the storyline over the D'Lo over so at that point, I still sort of was framing the Arquette in that vein scale because the movie, but that was sort of the route we were going. Got it. So you're guaranteed the main event against ADP at spring stampede with just a one week build, which is not exactly ideal for a pay-per-view. The show's at the United center. Uh, it does 8,377 tickets, $272,930 at the gate, 
this might be the last pay-per-view in WCW history to draw that, but wow. Yeah. And there you are in the main event. Hmm. Killing another promotion here. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Connie roll tide. Um, (laughs) but the United center, uh, that, that is that building and gosh, you know, those tickets had to have been on sale, what, two, three months but we're doing a one week build to the storyline. And that's in a lot of ways, uh, picture perfect for WCW, um, around this time. But, um, do you have a rule of thumb for what's ideal to promote a pay-per-view event? Like have the main event and the big attraction, like as a rule of thumb, would you want three weeks, four weeks, nine weeks? What would be ideal? And I realized as the business changed, right. And so we, we went from maybe one big annual event to quarterly events to holy shit. Now we're doing a pay-per-view every month. It was there a rule of thumb when you were promoting as far as, Hey man, if we want to get this thing, some traction, we need at least blank number of days or weeks. Boy, could we have a sidebar on this because, um, you know, in, in Memphis, it was weekly episodic. And so you had to be real careful not to make, you know, Oh, in five weeks from now, the big Lawler match, because then what are you going to do for four weeks? Right. But then. 92, 93, get up to WWF and Vince had created that model of the big four. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Vince always, you know, I, I knew that I was headed toward razor and I don't want to get into, you know, but, but, but that, that quarterly arc. And I think currently AEW, uh, obviously is doing a lot of things, right. But their pay-per-view builds are not cluttered. Uh, I say that with they, they, they you know, Tony and the AEW crew, they know where their money is, is, is headed for the big payoffs. Uh, when you got into in your house and the monthly builds and, um, you know, and, and our, and our partner, uh, Mr. 83 weeks, Eric Bischoff introduced that concept. It took a lot of the creative air. I don't say out, but it, it, it was a fundamental shift because in the TNA days, uh, we still tried to, you know, it really was never the big four, but it was the big two. So you had to do the the monthly build, and we had to do that for financial reasons and interna- international funds. But I'm going a long way around, and again, this sidebar could go on and on. In a perfect world, I think you need eight to ten to twelve weeks to really build. Is the old WrestleMania? Look at the sign hanging. We are 45 days away. We are 30 something. Just that build. I think the, I think it takes the 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 public the audience the engagement to have that kind of build and anticipation so uh, a a four-week build is pretty short and but that is what's been done since the mid-90s for the most part until AEW came along and it's worth mentioning i mean when you started tna you're doing weekly pay-per-views but it's at a fraction of the cost and just to add context to what you're saying back in the old territory days uh yeah, you were trying to sell tickets to get them to come see the next match the next week, but even then it would sort of build episodically. So you would have a match and well, there was a screw job finish. So next week it's going to be a lumberjack match. And then the week after that, it's going to be a strap match and a week after that, blah, blah, blah. But the big blow off the culmination of this storyline, because we never really gave them what they were looking for. You had to keep coming next week. So these big stipulations would build and build. And then maybe they finally get some resolution in a cage match or something like that. And that's when you would typically run a bigger arena too, right? You wouldn't be doing that at just a spot show. Now here's the big one. And we've been waiting for it for three or four months. Let's go. 
Yeah. And a lot of times at Memphis, um, May, kids getting out of school, right. September, kids getting back into school, fairs and that kind of stuff that you sort of look at, I'm going to build a, a pretty big blow off uh, till l l somewhere in April. And knowing May, you th then you get into the promotional tactics of kids free and uh, 25 man battle royal or 30 man battle royal. We'll call them, you know, in our vernacular, it would be the old hot shot tactics that you're not really selling the episodic storyline that makes the most money. You're selling attractions and, you know, we're, we're going to have what, whatever it may be, but you, 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 you mess with pricing, you have big events and not that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, we didn't really change buildings often, but we programmed the, the, the mentality different when we, and you know, as I've, as we've gone through and we're getting into the podcast and I look back and, 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 and really looking at the numbers, you know, when you combine January, February and March, and then April, we did four months of pay-per-view. So combine all those buys, it's just a whole different mindset when you're selling and trying to create revenue internationally, but you're trying to have a pay-per-view audience and make money there. It's um, challenging to say the least, uh, but, but it's, it's all in promoter psychology. So let's talk about the main event of the pay-per-view here. It's Jeff Jarrett pinning diamond Dallas page in 15 minutes and two seconds to win the vacant WCW heavyweight title. Meltzer would write page smart promoter that he is littered the building with signs promoting his book. You don't actually believe fans would bring signs like that to a show. Do you? He even had a spot where Jarrett tore up a copy of the book. Bischoff came out. This was really a good match. Bischoff had a long or Jarrett had a long figure four. Page tried to reverse it, but got a rope break. Page got a few quick cradles and a urinagi for a near fall. Page moved amazingly well for someone who's been out of action for so long with a back injury that didn't even heal until his former next door neighbor was back in charge, uh, which is tongue in cheek, ripping on Bischoff and DDP. Finish saw Bischoff distract Charles Robinson, who took a bump halfway through the match to tease a near fall from a belt shot by Jarrett. And Kimberly got in the ring, holding the guitar and clocked page with it for the pin. All the champs came to the ring to celebrate with Russo and Bischoff to end the show three and a half stars. So, uh, tell us what you remember of the match itself. And what did you think of the creative of Kimberly turning on DDP? As Conrad says, lot to unpack here. Yes. <laughs> um, I will say this. In the United Center, I could probably take you to the vomitory, the 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 area of the building. Uh, it's uh, down where the bulls come out. Or anyway, that's the first time I've ever heard the word stylus. Conrad, when is the first time you ever heard the word? Oh, that's a stylus. Do you know what a stylus is? Uh, well, like with uh, the little pen that you would use on a yes, um, yes, a uh, electronical device. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Touch yeah. screen. Yes. So DDP had bullet points. We'll just call them notes, but you know, I've, I've done notes and I've actually seen my dad have notes back in the early eighties. And you know, that's sort of work, but that's the first time I've seen it done electronically. And DDP had a lot of notes we'll say for the match, which I love Dallas. He always came prepared. Uh, but that's the first time. And I'm like, dude, what is that? He goes, Oh, it's my stylus. And I'm like, what? Anyway, that's how he took his notes. But um, we both came 
And I think in a lot of ways, um, I view Dallas different. Not that I thought anything negatively, but that day, working with him that day, his heart, his mind, his, I mean, and look, he was putting me over this night. He came ready to work. And yes, you, you know, I don't even recall about the book and all that, but hey, man, that, that's just taking control of your destiny. And mm -hmm. I'm going to promote it. And I'm going to do this. Good for him. But um, we both came ready to go, ready to work. You know, that building, uh, that's where, what was it, SummerSlam 94. Um, that was one of my first really, maybe the first big pay-per-view win. I went over Mabel. So I love that building. Uh, I grew up a Bulls fan. That, that, uh, that <laughs> So that was right in the middle of the Bulls run, too. But um, United Center... Uh, the reset, I knew that uh, in a lot of ways, the organization was giving me the ball. Um, so I was fired up. Um, Kimberly, the storyline and how they were going about it, um, you know, did it make 100% through and through? Look, nothing ever does in wrestling logic uh, for the most part. But um, I, I have nothing but fond memories of rolling up our sleeves. How are we going to put this match together? Got introduced to the word stylus, saw it in action, but we went through it. And, um, you know, the finish, uh, it looked out of mighty. And you just said, Charles Robertson, he looks exactly the same today as he did in this match. It's He's wrestling's Benjamin button. He doesn't age. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Love Charles, but no, um, He's great at what he does. And so we had all the, the pieces of the puzzle to make it work. And, you know, I could remember the arena rocking. Now, it wasn't 17,000 people, but the people there were damn into this match for sure. So when you win the world title, I guess we should mention this is your first world title. Of course, you were, as we joke, the assistant manager many, many times over in the WWF. But now you've got the big belt, the big gold belt. When did you find out you were becoming world champion? The day of? Like the one over my right shoulder. Yeah, just like that one. How about that? Um, when did I find out? It was, I don't want to say in Denver because it wasn't in Denver, but it was like a week out. It, I mean, it wasn't very, maybe day, within seven days, not, not, not any long-term, obviously, uh, hey, you're going to win it in Chicago. No, it was days. And... I mean, listen, I know that, you know, it's quote unquote, just a business, but was this a major milestone for you? Were you, I mean, was it still real to you? Damn it. Was this a big deal to become world champion Funny in every imaginable way? Cause I truly think, um, I was taught this, I experienced it, um, that if you get into this industry and I'm, a lot of people say, oh, you damn Mark, or maybe not that phrasing, but if you get into this industry, everyone I don't want to say wants to uh, become a world champion, but they, 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 they want to achieve the top of the card. I personally can remember Ric Flair and Coco Ware and Ric Flair and others and Jerry Lawler and Bockwinkle and Billy Robinson and watching world title matches and the TBS 605 Saturday nights and hearing about my, my father talk about, you know, his favorite champion, Dory Funk Jr. And then the Briscoes, you know, just hearing all the aura that goes around world champion, I absolutely had that as a gold and, and, and so a goal. And so, yes, Conrad, it was a really big night for me personally. Um, look, and, and you, you can, the, the, the narrative, the old, um, 
how do I say this? Not, not the Jeff Jarrett narrative, but the old, oh, Russo or Bischoff or whatever it was. Uh, it was a storyline, just like Ric Flair winning the world title was a storyline, just like Hulk Hogan was winning the storyline. I was uh, a, a part of a reset, and WCW had won. Uh, didn't know it was 83 weeks, but but knew that, hey, man, they it, it's, it's uh, the Turner organization. So for me to be world champ, I was very excited and um, proud. Yeah, I don't mind saying it. I, I, I had accomplished a goal that I set out to do many years before this. Do you tell your wife to make sure she orders the pay-per-view? No, <laughs> I don't. You know, we were routinely talking about stuff that happened like, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. But of course, the world is a lot different these days. In fact, the way we use the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade. I wasn't even listening to podcasts 10 years ago. But have you noticed that the security tools we use online have really stayed the same? Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, devices, and more, all in one easy-to-use app. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast. Like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or maybe someone tried to open a bank account in your name. Aura provides digital security protection to keep your online finances, your personal information, and your tech safe from online threats. It really is an all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more. Aura is also easy to set up. All their plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to recover your stolen funds and experienced U.S.-based customer support that's got your back. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription. With an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners up to 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com slash MyWorld. Go to Aura.com slash MyWorld to get complete protection and savings of up to 40%. That's Aura.com slash MyWorld. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash MyWorld. Uh, do you, do you phone up dear old dad and say, dad, don't miss the pay-per-view. I did not. <laughs> so you didn't really give a shit. You just kept it to yourself. Of course. That's me. Egomaniac. <laughs> no business is business. Well, it it's a- just, it's, it's fun to me because I feel like, uh, you know, you're one of those guys who you never get too high and you never get too low. You're just sort of even keel all the time. And I wondered when you become the world champion, how does that change? Because you know, the, the, the internet has joked for years. Oh, Jeff Jarrett started TNA. So he could finally be world champion. Well, uh, <laughs> it happened before TNA. Duh. Um, how much credit did you give or how much credit did Russo claim for you becoming world champion here? I'm just curious. Does he come and put his arm around you and say, we finally did it. I made you world champion or some such. No. And, and, and as you were just saying, sort of that, you know, did you call home? Did you call your dad? Did you or the pay-per-view all that kind of stuff? And then I just sort of responded to you. It was a business goal. So that's, and I think that's a real blessing that was given to me from my grandmother and my father that you said, you know, you watch me at a ball game or a kid's ball game, or even a Titans game. I'll get to an eight or a nine or a 10 and get really wrapped up into it. Cause you're a I, fan. I, yes. I, I get highly engaged in it. And if it's 
whatever it may be. So I've lived at a one and I've lived at a 10 before, but, but in business, I was at a 10, but it was also business, but, but also it wasn't like what you just said to circle back. No, me and Vince didn't have that conversation and give knuckles and, oh man, we did it. No, he, and I knew it very well. He, he was doing what he thought was best for Vince Russo and the company and however you want to extrapolate out. And, and, and I was very personally happy, but also knew that, okay, I, I've got a lot on my shoulders. Let's go to work. Do you remember your dad calling and congratulating you or did y'all ever discuss it? I don't remember a conversation about it. So the next night at nitro you and uh, Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff and the other new blood champions are in the ring and the observer would write this. Russo and Jarrett cut a promo on Jim Ross, which probably served to confuse 95% of the audience and made them come off as Bush leagues for most of the remaining 5%, especially when the ratings came out the next day. If Jarrett holding a belt given to him because his best friend in the company is writing the scripts wants to rub it in Jim Ross's face for losing him. He should wait until after the ratings gap closes to one point or the one who headlines a pay-per-view that does a 1.0 buy rate, because until that time he's proven nothing as a headliner. Jarrett challenged DDP to a rematch at Slamboree in Kansas city and camper arena in the three tier cage that was in ready to rumble. So let's talk about this Jim Ross promo. This is all Russo's idea. I take it. And you know, I don't recall the specifics. Does he go into any other details? And I'm not, I'm not gigging you trying to get more information. I, I, I don't, I, I, my instinct would be, okay, we took some silly, uh, I, I don't say it insider, but it, it's almost like what we covered on, um, new blood rising that Bischoff, not Bischoff, um, Nash and Goldberg got into this insider stuff that was trying to make, <clears throat> I don't know, headlines and weave its way in, doing all the insider crap, which I've never been a fan of ever. Uh, I just don't think there's n- enough meat on the bone and it, it, I think it can confuse the storyline. Uh, but whatever was said was obviously, uh, you know, scripted if, if you will, but it was taking an inside shot, trying to, again, the Monday night wars of, you know, <clears throat> Eric giving away finishes on WWF and WWF doing the nacho or the macho, you know, just, it was the, the, the war that went back and forth and some things hit and some things didn't as far as trading barbs. I think this was a barb thrown back that way that probably not, not only missed the mark, didn't even come close. Well, let's track it. Here's uh, a little bit of what you said that night. This is from April 17th, 2000. I'm sure the new blood has something planned for Terry Funk. Cut the damn music. Don't you ever, ever doubt me again. I said it, I did it, and now you're all eating it. You know, Vince, aside from the day my child was born, this is the greatest day in my life. And I just want to say one thing to that announcer sitting in State College, Pennsylvania, good old JR. 
You can kiss my ass. That's how he got that chicken asses. That brings me to die. So there you go. You can kiss my ass. Uh, yeah. And, and look, Dave has to sell his subscriptions. So, so I get that a little inflammatory, but Jim was the voice of, of, of Monday night raw. So yeah, it's insider probably, like I said, uh, a salvo back across the way that some people knew some didn't know that, that, uh, our contract negotiations, but I, I was expecting more. Connie is what I'll tell you that you, when you just replayed that, I, I was thinking there was going to be more to it, but, um, I don't know. Was what it was. Scott Steiner is the mystery opponent in the main event, which ends in a DQ when Booker attacks Steiner, uh, Steiner, when he had you beat. Um, so probably not the first impression you were looking to make, but, uh, you're, uh, going to be champion for a week when nitro comes into Rochester, New York. And we draw 2,697 fans for a whopping $64,925. So it's not going well. Nitro. Yep. Yeah. Uh, are you involved in any sort of creative at this point? Are they calling you on the telephone? Are you finding out when you get to the building? What's that look like? Yeah. I'm finding out when I get to the building. So this is early may. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sun's coming out. Not real good time. There's not a lot, you know, we, we promoted spring stampede for a week and now we're headed into, you know, so creatively not a lot's uh, hitting on all cylinders, but no. And this is, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020 and, and a lot more uh, knowledge that I have today than I did back then. But look, Vince was trying to write the show. Eric had, had just come back uh, at this time. They're trying to either work together or coexist but there's a lot of agendas candidly that both of them are trying to, um, fill the, the millionaires club. And now we got to appease or, or try to make the best out of, you know, the other divisions in a time Warner. We're going to be right. Uh, you know, a lot of, I'm sure there were some folks, their ass was on the line. They just spent 25 million bucks to produce a movie. It better cash, you know, <laughs> the, the cash register better ring. And then WCW, I mean, then Vince is trying to, do the very best he can. He's trying, you know, he's got another opportunity, another reset. So, uh, but to the answer to your question, hell no, I didn't have anything to do with creative. So the night after we should just add some context here. The night after spring stampede, April 17th, you had 4,345 fans in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, and then we did uh, a shot, uh, in Rochester, as we mentioned, there's 7,700 fans there. But there's only 2,697 of them that are paying. The next night wow. you're going to take. That at? That's in Rochester, New York at the Blue Cross Arena. Yep. Okay. The next night you're in Syracuse, New York at the War Memorial for a Thunder taping. Mm. 1,269 fans. Uh, and then our next Monday Nitro is May 1st from Birmingham. That arena seats about 18,000. We had 3,635 fans there, but let's go back to Rochester and let's recap the, uh, the day Jarrett Bischoff and Kimberly came out. They showed the three decker cage from the ready to rumble movie. Bischoff called out page and Kimberly gave him divorce papers. Page didn't even sell it. Like he was concerned. That guy's just so cool. He blew off a good angle. Luckily the announcers saw how page botched it. So they stopped selling the divorce. Like it was anything important either. 
Page went after Bischoff, but Jarrett hit Page with a guitar. This brought out Arquette to jump on Bischoff. Jarrett pulled him off, but before Jarrett could pound on him, Canyon saved Arquette. Bischoff challenged Arquette to a match. The steps were if Arquette wins, he would get a cage match for the title on this show. So you're just destroying everybody with guitars here. What do you think of the execution though, of, of DDP just sort of shrugging off the divorce because clearly Meltzer was pretty critical of that. Well, and just as you're reading that we're assuming I'm not, maybe you are, but Dave was assuming that he was in the creative room when this was laid out, was DDP supposed to blow it off and come back to it either later in this show or a thunder or another nitro. Did he blow it off or was it just interpretation of the acting? I, I don't, I don't recall this first and foremost, but I'm not going to assume because Dave wrote it, that that was just blowing off. I, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear the guys who wrote it and ask them, how did you want DDP to respond to this? Uh, and again, was it so Kimberly was serving Dallas divorce papers on, yeah, I, I, here we go. We're, we're going to get down a rabbit hole of creative that, that makes, <laughs> well, let's just, we're, let's, let's we're just rationalize or, or, or figure out, and we don't have the people in the room that really wrote it. Listen, let's not get too far down the rabbit hole, uh, on the creative. Let's try to keep it moving a little bit. Um, here's the sentence. I can't believe this is real. Arquette pinned Bischoff in two minutes and eight seconds. Arquette at least looks like he enjoys wrestling and is having fun out there, but boy, did he make WCW look minor league when he used the worm as his big move, particularly since it got by far the biggest pop of anything on the show. Let's run a pause right there. The worm is over like Rover on the WWF program when Scotty too hotties doing it. So he's using essentially a WWF move on a WCW show and it gets a big pop. That's what Meltzer's talking about. Oh, uh, quote. It was bad enough that the crowd was filled with pro WWF signs, many of which were on camera and very, uh, very <laughs> negative WCW signs. Bischoff mm. is then going to be saved by Jarrett. Jarrett hit page with the title belt. Bischoff hit a low blow on Arquette, but then Jarrett hit Bischoff with the guitar when Arquette moved and Arquette scored the pin. Canyon saved DDP and the lights went out and sting was in the balcony. Is there just so much going on that this is hard for even you to keep up with when you're in the well, ring it's hard for me to keep up with 15 years later, when I can sit down and read it, can you imagine being there the night of in that's a little note that some people, you know, we're talking 90 or 2000, but, and I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I think now a lot has evolved, but we're in the heart of WWF territory, right? Rochester, yeah. uh, Syracuse, upstate New York, just new England, all that. Uh, so it, I, I chuckled when, when you talked about the pro WWF signs in the, but, uh, yeah, what a, here we go. And you just said, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole, but it, it's yes. Lots of moving parts, lots of different things going on, but the, at the top of it, um, old Dave said that, uh, it appears Arquette, uh, enjoys it. He did. Yeah. And what did, and this is a, you know, we're going to go back and forth here, but what did he want 
him to use uh, Meltzer, I'm saying, as opposed to a worm, a, 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 a freaking F5. I mean, I mean, what is appropriate for our kid to use? I think the worm was entertaining, sort of up a, uh, an actor's alley that uh, a little wormed his way in there. That's why, I, and it got a good pop. It isn't, you know, that part of uh, the storyline make people say, Hey, he's enjoying it. Hey, he's doing the worm. Yeah. He watches it. And truth be told he's in WWF country. So not the worst idea for old Dave Arquette to pull out of the, his bag of tricks. No, I don't disagree, but there's so many moving parts in a two minute and eight <laughs> second match here. It involves Bischoff Arquette diamond Dallas page Canyon, Jeff Jarrett, and sting a lot going on here. <laughs> of course, here it is. DDP pinned Jarrett to win the title in a cage match in four minutes and 59 seconds. Quote, actually, this was the closest thing to a good match on the show. Page never sold the divorce deal. And if he doesn't care about it enough to have it get in the way of a wrestling match, why should anyone else care? Amazing how quickly a back can heal when given a push. The finish was beyond stupid diamond cutter. Then for no reason, except to take focus away from people popping for a title change. Awesome tears down the cage door, which makes the whole cage gimmick stupid. Two weeks before a cage match on pay-per-view awesome. Stopped the count. Canyon was in for the save. Even though the ref counted two, stopped and hit the mat once more. All of a sudden they announced page as the winner and new champ. So a lot done pack here. As I like to say, uh, DDP is clearly not a favorite of Mr. Meltzer as he continually mentions, Hey, he couldn't work, but now that Bischoff's back now he can, I kind of agree. I love Mike. Awesome. want to, want to preface that with this. Uh, I love Mike. Awesome. But the idea of him tearing down a cage door does sort of make the cage seem less dangerous, less of a stipulation, less, less of a than. main event, less than is the right answer. And it is just a couple of weeks before a cage match on pay-per-view. I'm actually with Meltzer on that. Maybe that's too much of the good stuff as we like to say. <sighs> zoom in, zoom out. Yeah. You zoom out and really look at it there. Okay. So, so if you zoom in and okay, for this episode, oh my God, that's going to be great for Mike Olson but we're going to ask people to pay money two weeks from now in the wrestling logic, suspending disbelief that the cage is the end all be all. It makes zero sense to have also do that all because I don't even want to call it a cheap pop. It was just a gosh, I don't want to say an add on, but, but j just a, a mini high spot for the night. So it, it, it makes no sense. It makes the cage lesser than, and, um, as Dave points out for our pay-per-view for the event that we're going to ask people to come out of their pocket, that's the promoter mentality. You've got to protect your money matches. And, and that's a perfect example how WCW did not protect the money matches. So, um, you held the, you won the world title and you held it for all of one week. Are you disappointed or is it just another day at the office? Um, as you know, and we've documented it on here from bash at the beach, it's, it's like 
nothing really surprised, not just me, but anybody. It was show up and whatever play is given, run it, uh, knowing that there were so many different moving parts and a real political joust going on hourly between creative and corporate and we'll call it the millionaires club and guys trying to fight for TV time. It was a mess. Yes. I'm I'm sure that I was maybe not outwardly because you don't really ever get anything accomplished too much by being too vocal, but look, be a champion for a week. Come on. That sucks. I just no way to, 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 uh, get any momentum going that way. So the next day, uh, April 25th, 2000, as we mentioned, you're in Syracuse, New York, 1,269 fans are there. And what everybody remembers is the main event. It's diamond Dallas page and David Arquette taking on Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff. But here's how the show opens with Jarrett Bischoff and Kimberly having kidnapped Arquette because Jarrett blamed him for the title switch. And we're, we're told that they're going to hold him hostage unless DDP agrees to put up the belt in a tag match. In hmm. Memphis, y'all were famous for some silly wrestling angles, but the world title is up for grabs in a tag match. That's, that's a little far-fetched. Is it not? I, I, look, I thought you were going to go. Yeah. The world title and tag match. That's kind of a. Yeah, I mean that that you can poke a lot of holes in that. But the kidnapping deal? Like so we when did we I mean I I I forget how all that went down, but those type deals and I, I guess this is another kidnapping. Did Flair get kidnapped at one point and buried in the desert? Yeah. So, so it just the whole kidnapping the the oh gosh. This is I told you this episode at times is going to be painful to to try to make your brain hurt trying to figure out creative. What was there? What wasn't there? Well, let's talk about the main you know, event. At this cool. point, I got a little, a little here. I got a little sympathy for our, for, for, for Dave. He had to try to write a newsletter on this every week. <laughs> here it <laughs> I is. Just watch it report on it. The idea that since this just happened, as we went to press time, we'll tell if this is correct is that WCW believes the publicity about our winning the title will hit mainstream and lead to a ratings boost on May 1st, since WWF looks to be changing its world title to rock and Austin. Uh, and of course they're going to appear. They did a double pin finish with Jarrett pinning page at the same time. Arquette pinned Bischoff, but they announced Arquette as winner and new world champion and had him parade around with the belt. Kimberly was the ref and kept counting slow. Whenever page had Jarrett pinned and counting fast the other way. Somehow she was out of there and Mickey J ran in and counted the double pin and signaled that Arquette had won. Now, I don't think everybody knew this until a few years ago, but your old pal in mind, Tony Schiavone actually fell on his sword on what happened when, and he said he was in the meeting where this was all first discussed and he pitched to Russo. Hey. What if Arquette won the title? <laughs> and just by that, what if Russo's ears perked up as Tony tells the story and ta-da, that became the the story. When you first got to the building that night in Rochester, 
or I'm sorry, in Syracuse on the 25th of April, did you think you were winning the belt back? Did not know. I, I know because literally, especially between Nitro and Thunder, so many different moving parts and things were changing. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, going into Nitro, it's all kind of different moving parts and different ideas minus the talent for the most part. Then all of a sudden you have Nitro and you've got 20, 30 wrestlers throwing their ideas against the wall and trying to get involved. And then the fatigue of the road or whatever you want to call it. So no, I didn't have a clue, but as I'm hearing the top of your commentary right then, you're talking about WCW was hoping to get publicity. You know, I think back to those nineties and even early, you know, I mean, late eighties, when you had WrestleMania and Liberace and Ali and special timekeeper and that kind of stuff to get attractions, who's going to sing America, the beautiful, and then get into the nineties. And, you know, we, different things, Leslie Nielsen at SummerSlam or whatever it may be. And then Tyson does the big angle at this stage of the game. I mean, we we mentioned Ben Stiller and this and that, but at this stage of the game, the, the pop culture of professional wrestling to, to, to sort of hang their hat on, Hey, we're going to make Arquette champion. Wasn't the same thing going to be accomplished? I mean, look, there's two different ways to look at it, a million different ways to look at it, but mercy, mercy, mercy. What a mess. Well, bad news. It's too late for Dave Silva. I uh, just had lunch with Dave yesterday and our, our, our man down at the boot pizzeria made his way around and he looked down and he said, Hey Dave, uh, might be time to just embrace the old stone cold look. You see two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss. By the time they're 35, in fact, more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from some form of male pattern baldness. Here's something you might not know, though. There are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both, but our man Dave Silva may have waited too long. Uh, Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. You get convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months meaning you don't have to leave your home. It's also low cost. You see treatment start at just 10 bucks a month and keeps offers generic versions, discreet packaging and proven results. Check this out. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. By the way, prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results. So act fast. Don't do like Dave did. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Jarrett to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Jarrett to get your first month free. Keeps.com slash Jarrett. Keeps.com slash Jarrett. Let me mention too, David Arquette has gotten a lot of, I think, unfair criticism over the years. He's proven that he is a wrestling fan. He did a whole documentary about it called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. I highly recommend it to everyone. But I've dealt with him a few times, hosted him at Starcast. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. Couldn't have been a cooler guy. Follow him on Twitter at David Arquette. But he is one of us. He is a wrestling fan. And candidly, if most of the people listening to this were given an opportunity to promote their other job, whether it was movies or mortgages, and you had an <laughs> opportunity to brush up against professional wrestling, you would jump at that chance. I want to make sure everyone understands this. David Arquette was paid well 
for his ventures into professional wrestling. And he kept $0 of it. He donated 100% of it to Brian Pillman and Owen Hart's family and, and all the fallen soldiers. I think Darren Drozdov was a recipient, but he cared about wrestling so much that he kept none of the money and gave it to wrestling families who he felt like could use it. And it's not as if he sat down with the quote unquote pencil and said, I think I'm going to make myself champion. That's the point I want to make. Go Someone ahead. came to him and said, Hey, here's what we'd like to do tonight. And he, as the story goes, says, I can't do that. I can't be champion. Don't make me champion. He knew this isn't what wrestling fans wanted to see. He didn't feel as if he had taken the bumps and the bruises and all the training and all of the, he hadn't paid his dues in wrestling. And as a wrestling fan, he knew that mattered and he didn't want to be champion, but it was creative. They convinced him to. They thought it would be a good way to promote the movie. So he went along with it, but he went along with it and kept exactly $0 and gave it all away. And here's another spoiler. When he ventured back into wrestling a few years ago, I don't think I have to tell you, he didn't exactly make a ton of money in independent wrestling. He did it for the love of the game. So whereas a lot of people sort of prop back and say, oh, David Arquette was a terrible idea. Okay. I'll let you have that, but it wasn't his idea. And he did right by everybody involved. And he's a okay. In my book, throw him a follow at David Arquette. And we're actually talking about him now because he just celebrated a birthday, not too terribly long ago. So shout out to Mr. Arquette really appreciate all he's done for wrestling. Conrad, you've said it much better than I could, but to me, you're spot on. And I go back and watch the David Letterman. <laughs> Take an edit. <laughs> you mean the late show with David Letterman? <laughs> oh, if people could see the video airing right now, but, um, yes, go back and watch the late show with David Letterman and our kid on there. And that's when he referenced old double J's name. And I used to chuckle when I would do follow-up interviews. What'd you think about it? Well, <laughs> David Letterman, uh, said my name and David Arquette, <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> People, you're going to have to edit this because I'm just chuckling. <laughs> no, we're not editing nothing. This is great stuff <laughs> okay. because, because the reality is it is, I mean, it did get mainstream publicity and no, follow, no, if you see the video content, you got somebody lurking over your shoulder, Conrad. I don't know if you know that, but, uh, we'll, we'll leave that. Yes. You oh, know. oh, I didn't do an edit. Uh, do you want to welcome to the show? No run in, <laughs> no run in. I was like, I don't get it. We're leaving it in. Yeah, and I'm sitting here chuckling. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I see. That's what I <laughs> He's the John Cena of podcasting. You can't see him. Oh, yes, I can. Oh, I was cracking up. I was like, head. I don't get why you're so tickled. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. I got it now. Yes. So back to that. I used to get do these interviews. What do you think about David Arquette? And I said, hey, I love David Arquette. He mentioned me on D David Letterman. Sure, I'll he did. never get my name on David Letterman. I used to watch it with the Jerry Lawler Kaufman angle over and over and be a regular uh, Letterman watcher. But no, but he did. In, in that interview, he was very self-deprecating. And that's David from the day I met him. And I can remember him hanging out after nitros uh, down in the watering holes. David is a not just one of us, a fan, but I can imagine him on a Hollywood set or, or eating Thanksgiving. He's a very humble human being. He, he is 
that's the real David that I know. And, and so uh, to, to back to your, to your, your final point is he had zero creative ability. I mean, you know, creative control, right? None. I mean, like none. And he did speak up in the manner of, Oh no, 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 no. I don't think we ought to do that. But he, he, he ran the play. He did it. And I'll say this, that man climbed 62 feet and he damn sure didn't have to do that. And I'd be willing to bet that his agent was thinking, Hey Dave, this wrestling stuff, uh, at this point, we've had some fun out of it. I'm not so sure it's a good idea for you to be in this triple cage and climb 62 feet in the air. Right. But he did. I do want to mention too. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a total misfire. It does get a bunch of coverage. It gets a lot of chatter. You mentioned, you know, it was even mentioned on, on David Letterman, but in this era and Bischoff has talked about it a lot guys on sports talk radio, they would just plop open the paper, a paper like USA today. And they would take, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. And they would dig out stories out of there. And one of those, of course, that, that is going to go ahead and make air is all about this situation with David Arquette. So now you've got sports talk radio talking about it too. And you didn't pay for any of that coverage. So, you know, this, these are the dying days of WCW and desperate times call for desperate measures. And here's one. Yeah. Uh, Thunder on April 26th at a 2.72 rating, by the way, a lot of shows, a lot of companies would die for that rating right now. Oh my God. Uh, where are Ke- at two seven guys? Yeah. So let's, let's keep it going here. The number was higher than Thunder had been drawing over the past six months down from the previous two weeks episodes though. And Arquette's deal wasn't a success. Even if the show drew a higher rating, since the usual main event drew a 2.25 which is the lowest rating on any segment of the show. So the movie didn't do well and it's not necessarily a draw here, but still it did a 2.72 rating. So it's easy for us to look back in hindsight and say, Oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But there are ideas that people try in wrestling, Jeff, that, and just in business that just because it doesn't work out, doesn't mean it wasn't worth a try, right? I can completely concur. And we're still talking about it today. This is episode 1920 and Conrad, you picked this episode to title it David Arquette. So whether it's, we'll call it the hardcore or getting into this bubble, but, but you know what I mean? If, if no matter how you slice it and dice it, Letterman, USA today, uh, Hollywood actor, the movie, the cross promotion, Look, there have been, in my opinion, a lot worse ideas by far, but you don't know till you get your picture took and get up and swing. And I was born and raised in, look, you're only really as good as your last TV or bad. You've always got next week. Uh, and, and sometimes you just can't hang your hat on that specific show's rating whether it's quarter hour, half hour, whatever, lead in, lead out, competition. Some things go your way on multiple levels, and sometimes they go against you on multiple levels. But we're still talking about it. I'm not saying talking about it positively and not talking about it all negatively. But uh, I I do think um, that David sometimes, uh, but I think he's overcome a lot of that. Uh, negative uh, stigma. Oh, he has uh, big time. Yeah. 
I mean, but, but, and I love the guy. I mean, and, and he, he loves our industry. So it's announced that our cat will be taking on you and DDP in a three-way for the WCW world title at Slambury in the triple cage. So nitro on May 1st in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's got a lot of Arquette and his wife at the time, Courtney Cox, who's obviously a huge star from, from the Bama. observer quote, DDP Canyon and Arquette came out to no real pop with the belt. When Arquette started talking, the audience started booing. He said he'd give up the title. Bischoff told him he couldn't, and he'd have to be in the three cage match at Slamboree. Russo, Liz, Jarrett, and Kimberly came out with Bischoff. Luger ran out in the middle of all this looking for Liz. And Bischoff tells Arquette he's going to have to defend the belt against Tank Abbott. DDP also wanted the match with Tank Abbott. This is all over the place. Um, eventually, Abbott's going to beat DDP in one minute and 55 seconds. Canyon and Arquette are also in DDP's corner. DDP's taking a uh, punch from Abbott that's going to wobble him, but he's going to get up. And, uh, well, Maybe that doesn't do the Goldberg program that Abbott was trying for any, any favors. And then Jarrett hits page with a bottle <laughs> and page goes out on a stretcher in an ambulance. So a punch from one of the world's most dangerous men in the UFC who knocked out everyone does no damage. But when you hit him with a bottle, well, I'm tiny. Remember when tiny Viano number four, Jeff Jarrett. Hits him with a bottle. Now he leaves on a stretcher in an ambulance. Oh gosh. There's just, uh, there are, there is some good stuff in this era, but unfortunately this is not one of them. Then our cat's going to pin Abbott in two minutes and 13 seconds. When page gives him the diamond cutter quote, I know page was just stretched out and taken out in an ambulance a half hour earlier, but guess what? He drove the ambulance back himself and then ran in to lay out Abbott. Hmm. 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 And you in the back were thinking, you know, guys, this is some pretty good shit. And I think I'm going to start my own company and we're going to carry this to pay-per-view every Wednesday night. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, mercy, mercy. Well, we're in Alabama. So of course I did. <laughs> so you're doing a three-way on that nitro against Hugh Morris and Scott Steiner. And the stipulation is uh, laid out from Eric Bischoff that us Morris loses, he loses the misfits in action. And they're all going to be fired. That's Hugh Morris, Chavo Jr., Lash LaRue, and Van Hammer. So Steiner another step on top of this. So Steiner puts Morris in the Steiner recliner. You hit him with a guitar. Morris pins him. And uh Bischoff's still trying to fire him anyway. The next day at the Thunder Taping in Memphis at the Roundhouse, we have a doozy of a finish to the show that everyone's involved in. It's a battle royal between the Millionaires Club and the New Blood. Plus Randy Savage, the Harris twins, the mama Luke's disco tank Abbott, Jim Duggan, the observer would say the idea was that Jarrett and page were to climb a scaffolding and Arquette would climb the scaffolding hit either Jarrett or page. And it would make sense for it to be Jarrett. And that's who I was told it was supposed to be. And that's who would take the bump, but they gimmicked part of the stage that they would fall through similar to how Mick Foley had a bump at no way out and crowbars bump that nobody remembers when leaving the ring by accident, Asia stepped on the set and fell through. So everyone could see it was gimmicked. Arquette then ran out, apparently wasn't giving directions as to what to avoid. So he stepped and fell into the gimmick part of the stage too. 
So Jarrett and page improvise up there with page deciding to save the show and take the bump into what was already evident as a gimmicked hole in the stage. They simply edited out virtually everything regarding the page and Jarrett angle where page took the bump off the lighting stand through the gimmick part of the stage. They showed the two very briefly brawling very high and then cut away. They edited to where they come back and page was now just simply lying in a hole. David Arquette, who had fallen in the hole, never appeared on television and at all. And they acted as if he wasn't there. The original angle was for page, not Jarrett to take the bump, but to appear to be a miscue by Arquette, which would later be part of the story. <laughs> I, I'm about to go lay down and, uh, just take a nap. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing at myself. Cause I started thinking I asked Conrad to reread this. <laughs> What a mess. All right. Let me get you, my composure. Do you remember, do you remember being at this show? And, well, first off, and seeing her writer f- Dave called it the roundhouse. There is no such thing as a roundhouse in Memphis. That's in Chattanooga roundhouse. Memphis is the pyramid <laughs> or the mid South Coliseum. And now the forum FedEx form arena. But anyway, I'm nitpicking, uh, what a mess. And I don't remember all that candidly about who is Asia? Asia fell in. Oh, you remember the Jack, they couldn't call her China, but the jacked up chick who came out with, uh, with oh, Scott yeah, okay. 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 But my gosh, somebody, I mean, I, I think of nowadays going through rehearsals, at least walkthroughs. I have a feeling there was zero walkthrough of this Ellis. By, by, by the way, I think this is Randy Savage's last show. Do I have that right? I told you we were going to be all over the place. We didn't get to touch on good old tank. Tank, do you remember when he first debuted in WCW? When he came through the curtain, the whole arena stood up. There was a short period of time, and and I can remember Mark Madden being very descriptive. Tank Abbott and all this. There was a period of time that Tank was, I don't say over, but got a hell of a reaction. And now <laughs> he's in Birmingham getting diamond cuttered by Courtney Cox. <laughs> By the way, when tank, uh, when tank first came in, it was around the same time that my now brother-in-law, David flair was working up there and David was not old enough to rent a rental car. In those days you had to be 25 in order to get a rental car. So he would find himself having to hitch rides with people and nobody at WCW told him this or even thought of it. So he shows up and then realizes, well, everybody, all the other guys are in line at this rental car thing. Okay. I'll go stand in line and realizes it's not going to work. They're not going to rent me a car. So now he's trying to beg for rides and he winds up riding with tank Abbott on one of tanks first loops. And some of the guys are like, do you know who that is? And he's like, not really. And they're like, I'd be careful if I was you. So he has like a, a, a pipe or a stick or something. On his, he goes and gets one to make sure that when he rides with tank, I can't, if th- whatever this guy wants to do to me, he can, I can't stop him. It's tank habit. So I've got a weapon just in case. And then of course he realized about 20 minutes into the ride. Oh, that's all bullshit. He's a great guy. Yeah. But just Thanks for a lot. minute, you're like, can you imagine being a kid? Like, Hey, that guy who beats up people for real. And this is one of the notorious bar fighters in the world known yes. with a reputation that precedes him. Just catch a ride with him, kid. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm. Classic. Classic WCW. Good, bad, ugly. 
fun. But uh, back to when Tank came through the curtain when he first uh, debuted, uh, what a reaction. So so now we are down at the Pyramid in, or maybe not the Pyramid. Hell, we're in Memphis. You're, you're at the Mid-South Coliseum, your old stomping grounds. That's where the okay. show happened. And, and it's, it's notable for a lot of reasons. First of all, the gimmick with the, that everybody's following through, but David Arquette specifically, but maybe this is the thing that overshadows it. Because I think if Arquette wasn't there and none of this nonsense happened, this would be talked about most Randy Savage and Bret Hart are surprise returns. This is Bret Hart's last match at this point. We think at that point, it'll be his last match ever. Of course, we know he's going to come back and do the stuff with Vince at WrestleMania and all that, but this is Savage's last WCW appearance. So Savage's last WCW shot really his last shot with a major promotion until he showed up for you for a cup of coffee at impact and Bret Hart's last WCW match. And nobody talks about it. Instead, they talk about David Arquette falling through the fucking stage. (laughs) Conrad, you are on a roll today. It's not fair. It's it's accurate, but it's not fair. Oh, I mean, how many main events did, uh, Savage have at mania three? Anyway, anyway, so we're talking about, he's one of my personal all-time favorites. Absolutely. Last match in Memphis. Well, his old stomping grounds. My goodness. Talk about it. Wow. That's the kind of stuff we uncover here at my world. <laughs> God, that's crazy. So, uh, you're out of there and, uh, you lose to Canyon because he hits a flatliner when, uh, Kimberly's interference backfires. You're pushing towards the main event again in a world title situation with an actor and you're losing the Canyon. And this, by the way, is the go home show for the slamboree pay-per-view and you're losing a one-on-one match to Canyon, but you're also in the number one contenders battle Royal. This is just, uh, a lot. We're on a roll brother. Isn't it fantastic? All weaving. Just one magical storyline. Now we get to Slamboree as if this story couldn't get any stranger. And you're at the Kemper arena, knowing the plan with the triple cage match, unless I had context, this is may of 2000 one year after Owen Hart fell and passed away in this same building. This is probably one of your first times back in the building, right? First time. What's this like for you? I mean, we we talked about Owen in our archives and we talked about that whole situation and how emotional it was and how you suppressed it. And you only really got to deal with it in the last handful of years through your recovery. And now you're back in the arena a year later in the main event in the same building. And we're awfully high in the air. This has got to be weird for everyone, but more weird for you than anyone. And man, we have, uh, or I have chuckled a lot during this episode, but now to, to, to head down another Avenue. And I started to tell you this, I don't know when, but, but going into this a couple of weeks out when I knew I was going to be in the arena. Um, I went to work with, uh, and we're at some point, we're going to get Dr. Timba on here, my, my chiropractor applied kinesiologist, 
but a guy that worked with him and uh, what I, I knew that I was going to be going up three cages. Uh, and I'm not going to say I had this crazy fear of heights, but I wanted to get as comfortable as possible knowing <clears throat> going back into the Kemper arena, going back into all things. I'll say that, uh, that it happened the year before, but as you just sort of, Delicately recovered, I, you know, I had completely, now, now I know all this today, but the, the emotions of Owen, I had completely suppressed a hundred percent, but on the flip side, I knew that I was going to be have to, you know, climbing literally, I think the top of that cage is 62 feet. Owen had, had, had fallen from, I think 81 feet, but I knew I was going to be, have to be working up in the top of that building and I wanted to get comfortable. So I worked with, uh, some psychologists and, and things. And, and, and it, in a lot of ways, I had a lot of comfort climbing the cage and getting comfortable with it. And we got out to Kemper and, but I, I, I address that from a business perspective that I've got to go perform, uh, in a, in a peak performance. Uh, and so I, I, I address that, but yeah, it, it was, uh, I, I knew going in, it was, it was a unique set of circumstances. Do you say anything to anybody about Owen and how you're uncomfortable at all. And that's sort of something that you just said, I, I dealt with later, but literally not a word. I came to work. Does anybody bring it up to you? Did anybody remember that day and say, Hey man, you know, I don't recall now. I'm not saying that people didn't walk up to me and say, Hey man, or, or any of that kind of stuff. I was mask on, not literally, but figuratively work mindset. You built a fence around yourself. You had your guard up. Can't mess with me. I'm bulletproof. I'm here to do wrestling. I got a show to do. Let's we're making Bingo. towns. We're doing business. Bingo. That's exactly right. Conrad. So the show draws 4,862 fans. And according to the observer, the show was on track to do 6,000 paid, but supposedly according to Dave, once Arquette won the title, the ticket sales just stopped. They had $139,202 at the gate. Do you remember putting this match together? You know, I know a lot of times with old timers, you just, you go out there and freestyle, as we like to say, you call it in the ring as they like to say, but with a not this match and certainly not this opponent. And I went into DDP and the stylists at the United center, but we both knew we had our work cut out and the triple cage is a great concept. You know, on another episode, we'll get into the triple uh, uh, with Cactus Jack and Gary Young down in Dallas and the WCCW days, and it drew, and, and that's, a, that's a good story down there. But dealing with this triple cage and how we were going to go about it and how we were going to make sense of it and just the storyline of it with David, uh, a, a non-wrestler, uh, but, you know, the belt being hung. So me and Dallas had quite a bit of, conversations and then um you know and and dallas tells this story uh maybe we'll get the opportunity one time to, to have him tell a story but uh if you're familiar with ddp yoga i'm about to tell you folks bang i'm about to tell you folks this in a lot of ways is where the origins of ddp yoga came because we were walking through the match and having the discussion and you know there's one level two level three levels but there's a hole in the cage uh up on the we'll say the, between the first and the second level and dallas and we were walking through it and dallas backed up and one of his legs 
as he's backing up, drops straight through the top. Uh, so half his body went down and it really, I don't even want to say tweak, but it really threw his hips and back and it threw him out of whack. And he's got to have a match in 24 hours or less than or right around that. So um, he went to work and I, I believe flew in his stock, but they did a lot of different things and he was coming off a back injury. Uh, but, but DDP yoga and, 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 and I don't say it's the origin of it, but it's certainly a, a huge step in the progression of Dallas really wanting to change how he dealt with his, his body. Uh, and, and to this day I do DDP yoga. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a big supporter of it, big believer in it, as opposed to just a supporter, but, uh, we went through the match and, and talked through it and laid it out and knew that there was going to be, well, as per the course, and we'll get into it, but you know, somebody's got to take a bump off the top. No, you don't just tell the story, but we went down that road and all the different moving parts that we've already addressed in WCW creative as the buildup, trying to tell seven stories at one time that never work. Uh, but yes, your question was Conrad, do you remember talking it over? Yeah. Me and DDP talked over this entire layout, uh, through and through. What do you remember specifically about the match? I mean, if fans want to go watch it, it's 15 minutes and 30 seconds worth. Ultimately, you're going to win the most prestigious title in the history of our great sport, the WCW heavyweight championship, AKA the big gold. And you beat David Arquette and diamond Dallas page in a three decker ready to rumble cage match. And DDP, there you go. And the picture in my office says it, the, the storyline that me and diamond Dallas, uh, me and Dallas were both climbing each corner of the small cage up on top. And, and Arquette had already gotten up there. So he's got a guitar in his hand. Is he going to nail DDP or is he going to nail me? Was the story. And he chose to nail Dallas and I climbed on up and then we shook hands and I grabbed the belt and I'm the champion again. And so that was the finish. That was the storyline. I can remember getting very comfortable um, up there on top. And me and Dallas had a good brawl. Uh, you know, it was laid out uh, psychology. Look, it's not the easiest psychology to lay out, but I was comfortable. Dallas was comfortable. We laid out the best match possible. Uh, we had to get a, I'll say we had to, but we were instructed. Uh, we had to, you know, Canyon had to take the bump off the top and, I, you know, there was to, to jump right into it. Oh my gosh. You know, um, Owen fell the year before I didn't really at the time, certainly even go there or connect the dots. I, I can remember specifically thinking, do we really have to have Canyon? And I know he was involved in the DDP and that whole storyline, but it just felt in a big payoff match, trying to tell too many stories, but Canyon ended up taking the big bump off during the match. Um, and, and, and part of the course, it was such a protected bump through boxes and, and all that kind of stuff that people seeing that live were, were not <clears throat> going to, Oh my gosh, ooh, not. And even if they would have bought into it, then you distract from the finish of the match. So it was a lose, lose situation. And I can remember thinking that and, and probably voicing that to Dallas that day. Quote this is from the observer Canyon then showed up to fight with awesome standing on top of the bottom cage, which looks to be 20 feet from the ground. Awesome threw Canyon off the top of the cage onto the ramp 
which was heavily gimmicked. So he wasn't hurt seriously taking the stuntman bump. They stacked cardboard underneath the ramp to soften the blow underneath the spot he was supposed to hit, which he had marked. Of course, from that high, any major flaw in the execution or even landing in a bad position wouldn't have been pretty, but he did practice it three times that day before without a hitch. Um, you know, listen, I hate to be that guy, but I, I gotta ask in hindsight, how poor taste was this throwing Canyon off the building? Cause a lot of the, and this, I'm not just asking from a you standpoint, but buddy, there are a lot of wrestling fans who came to that WWF pay-per-view a year prior when Owen lost his life. And now they're back here and the same dog on building watching a wrestling pay-per-view and they see a guy flying off the top of the cage and taking this big bump. This is, um, less than ideal. You said it, bad taste, poor taste. Yeah. Um, um, you talk about living in a bubble, not thinking about it because a lot of folks, and I was aware of this at the time. And, and certainly there were a lot more folks aware of it that when Owen's accident happened, they thought it was a stunt. They weren't yeah. like the, you know, and so a lot of people, I don't want to say left that arena that night at the WWE event, but, but they, they, they weren't really sure what they just witnessed. And then obviously as the story rolled out now, here you are 12 months later and we're going to do that same. No, we're not going to do the same. Forgive me for that. We're going to have someone fall off the top of the cage falling 20 to 30 feet. There was just no upside to it. Creatively publicity wise execution of the match to this day. I'd love to know. Why did we do that? Why, and I say we as a company, WCW, what was the upside to doing that? I assume that, you know, Mick Foley had the most famous bump off a cage ever, and they recreated it a few different times and ways, um, in the WWF, especially you look back at like rumble, uh, 2000 and no way out. And, and then obviously the big King of the ring bump. And I think fans probably expected some sort of bump in another arena in another time in another place, not here, but this is what, you know, we did. And the match got three and a quarter stars. What I'm interested in is you backstage afterwards. You're the world champion again. Uh, the first time you only had it a week this time, you technically beat David Arquette for it in an arena where the last time you were there, you left in your gear and went to the hospital and now you're back in the main event and you're the world champion. Is this the very definition of mixed emotions for you? Bizarre, really, really bizarre. Uh, again, I'm not gonna say that I don't lose the sight that, okay, here we are a month after spring spin spring stampede and the titles back with me and. I've got responsibility and how are we going to get our numbers up? How are we going to get our houses up? How are we going to keep progressing? Um, so the business mind of, of, you know, Jeff was thinking that way, but you know, it goes without saying, I'll never forget. I could take you right to, uh, the, 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 the dressing room that me and Owen dressed at. I could take you right to the place where I had that promo, the back door where the cop walked me up the ramp. 
uh, out into the arena, walking through that uh, match to wrestle Val Venus, um, all of that. I could also take you the first time I climbed up the cage for the triple ch- uh, uh, for for the match the day before through rehearsals, climbing up there, and it didn't lose sight of me. I'm looking around, getting my bearings. It, it, I think every wrestler that walked in that building today, and maybe production, they looked up. You know, you it's a year later, and and maybe for the, some of the WCW guys, certainly for me, it's the first time they'd been in that arena. You, you I, I certainly knew, I, I knew where I was at, but I didn't let myself go there emotionally. But I, I was certainly cognizant and aware, and and all of that. So, you know, show over. Next night, next town, go to, go to a nitro. It's business. Um, again, game face on. Let's go to work. I um, I can't imagine from your perspective, just, you know, the last time you, you associate this building with such a tragedy, <clears throat> and then you come in that day and you're working with an actor in a gimmick cage match silly bumps and all this. And you see a big spectacle and these fans see the same spectacle that makes you think about that tragedy even more from a year prior. But then you walk to the back, you're the, you've achieved your professional dream for the second time. This time, the main event of a pay-per-view in the town where you lost your best friend a year prior. It's like a movie. And I do remember it's weird how, when we dive into these things and I sort of let my guard down and emotionally, um, in a good way, today's episode laughed a lot, but, but also as you're talking about this, I can remember on the Saturday getting up on top at the, the third cage, but also winning it and just being up in that air. Yeah. Um, And I, and I'm almost asking myself right now, did I, and I do believe this, my psyche knew what was going on, but my conscious brain told myself, don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. Go back through the curtain match was what it was as we thought we could. Let's go high five Arquette. Let's go high five DDP. Let's go thank the refs. Let's get to the next town. You protected yourself. You parented yourself. Let's move on. Let's. Yep. Yeah. So you go to the back. Was it all high fives? Was David Arquette pleased with his wrestling experience? This is the big payoff. He had new fancy gear that night. This was a big moment for him. It was. And, and, you know, uh, I, I'm sure checking on Canyon. Look, Chris, great dude, man. He oh, yeah. would do anything for the industry um, and love to be a part of. Hell yeah. I'll take the big bump. I mean, that's, that, that was Chris. Um, but, but it was okay, man. Uh, again, we're four years, five years into doing the monthly pay-per-views and the grind and tear down next show, tear down next show. So, uh, it's funny. You said the, the Arquette, uh, I love that red outfit that he had a little Superman Cape. Uh, but no, uh, we, we, we did our thank yous and move on is, is what I recall. 
The next night, Nitro is in St. Louis at the TWA Dome. We have 3,388 paying fans. As a reminder, 17 months prior, there were 29,000 paid. This is a dome, folks. I just don't want to lose sight of what uh, Conrad just said. We are in the TWA Dome. dome. (laughs) And we had 29,000 paying fans 17 months ago. Today, we've got 3,388. And we're down 89%. Hmm. Uh, DDP oh, returns. Okay. He hits Arquette with a diamond cutter. And that's the end of David Arquette on WCW TV. Slamboree's buy rate comes out and it sounds like it's going to be one of the lowest buy rates in company history coming in under a point two. Arquette would have one more appearance in WCW at new blood rising during the match with Bagwell and Canyon. But overall, at least for me. I consider David Arquette's venture into wrestling to be a success. And I know that a lot of people hearing that are going to be pissed off and annoyed and think I'm a shill or it's full of shit. But you look at all the good he did with it. He was a fan, just like me and you who made the most of his opportunities that were given to him. And he tried to give it back and he did every single dollar to wrestling families who he felt like would need it and has been a big supporter of wrestling. Even to this day. So I'm glad that our cat brushed up against the wrestling business. And I know you are because without having it, you may never have been champion. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what though, all kidding aside and Conrad, you know, we just came off top guy weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, we'll give our plug to one of my favorite hotels of all time. Hi, Schaumburg, right? Yep. Top floors five. I want to say, yep. I'll never forget getting off the elevator all out weekend. Yeah. That's what it was called. 2018. Right. Yep. Yep. Me and Karen. Well, all, all in same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All, okay. So, so, so me and Karen get off the elevator at Starcast. So we get, get our room, get off the elevator and David is there. Now I hadn't seen David in years and I'm going to echo everything you just said. Uh, I appreciated him in the WCW days. I appreciated, you know, the, the world he came from Hollywood. He, he is from Hollywood. It's a family. It's not like he's a, uh, uh, a kid from, uh, the Bronx or kid from Detroit or Wichita who went out to LA and Hey, I'm going to give this acting thing. He is born into Hollywood. And so he didn't need the industry, but he loves it. And so he stepped into our world and respect and you would hang with him after, uh, you know, nitro and thunders and very respectful and humble. And so from day one, I've had a lot of respect, but then you fast forward through the years and you have him at Starcast. But anyway, I step off and this is where it's funny when you have a good rapport with somebody, you may not see him for years and years and years. And me and David have always had DM, you know, text exchange or DM exchange, all this, but I step off the floor and he had never met Karen. And I just came off just <laughs> Karen probably get mad for me telling this story, but I walked, stepped off the elevator. Hey, Dave Arquette. Hey man, how you doing? Hey, Hey, this is my wife, Karen. Uh, Oh man, how you doing? And he was with his new wife or girlfriend at the time. And I said, yeah. And, uh, he's like, Oh, wow. Nice to meet you. Y'all got any kids? I said, yeah, we got five. I said, she just had our fifth. And he goes, huh? <laughs> and the look on Karen's face. And I said, no, I'm just kidding. We have a blended family and, Went through Jocelyn, Jacqueline, Jaron, Kira, Cody, and blended family, and 
But Dave, uh, I say all that to say that I caught Dave off guard, but man, we hugged and and it was great to see him. And again, the the Nick Gage thing and and um, wow, that that whole story uh, and, and everything that goes with it. But but I have said a couple of different times, sometimes kidding, sometimes not. Conrad, I'm going to say it right now. Um, there may be a little uh, rematch. Don't you think the world wants to see a one? No, I'm kidding. I was going to say, no, <laughs> we don't. We appreciate what he did, but I think, uh, what, what did they, what was the video they played when Rick retired? Let's leave the memories alone. Shall we? There you go. I like it. No, a lot I, of fun. I, I, uh, I don't think we can put over David Arquette enough, but I, I want to, you know, give you a pat on the back because this, a lot of people assumed when they pressed play on this was going to be a different type of podcast, but I knew this big stunt happened in the same arena. The Owen thing did and given y'all's relationship, I knew this wouldn't be all fun and games. And I appreciate you being a good sport today. And I appreciate everybody you know, go through David, a, a, a follow, as we mentioned, he just celebrated a birthday earlier this month. Our original plan was to have this drop around closer to his birthday. But of course we got delayed a week. That's my fault. Uh, but we're back on track now. Uh, let's briefly mention too that a lot of wrestling fans, cause we got this question a lot, wanted to know, did you ever consider bringing David Arquette into TNA or trying to do something with global force wrestling when you were trying to get that thing up and going? No, in, in that, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say that David had had his time in wrestling and moved on, but I didn't really see any, um, anything left in the tank, if you will, uh, you squeezed all the juice out of it. There wasn't anything. I didn't think think David would have any interest that he had just left it. I was very pleasantly surprised when he was going to, you know, step back in and RJ city and, 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 and do the whole documentary. Shout out to Rajiv for the question. Uh, Rinkside Rant wants to know: Did you do any training with uh, David at the power plant prior to his match here? None. Uh, that was something that I was surprised, sort of, as it went along. And you know, I don't know if it was Helms or or the other guys that it sort of worked. And and they were like, "Yeah, D- David, he's not a wrestler, but he he can do enough." Fernando wants to know who was a better world champion, Vince McMahon or David Arquette. Buddy, uh, uh, it's a whole nother episode, but I think Vince, if not the greatest heel, he is certainly in my top three. So it's hard to top Vinnie Mac, uh, <laughs> being a world champion. But real quick though, that does highlight something that I think is worth being discussed. You know, when people say, oh, what about when they made our kid champion? Well, what about when Vince made himself ECW world champion or yep. WWF world champion? It happened. Sure. Um, it's a story, but. But it's a believable story. Uh, Coach Rosie wants to know what did the boys think of this Hollywood guy becoming champion? Do you remember there being any pushback internally? Or by that point, was everybody like, this is what we're doing? Oh, I can uh, look. There was all kinds of chatter like, oh my gosh, this and that. But also at WCW, it, it, truth be known, uh, we were getting our butt whipped. And AOL time Warner was writing everybody's checks and they just written a huge check to do this movie. So people were rowing in the direction of we're going to promote this movie best we can until 
freaking Tony Schiavone. Damn. He ruined it all, as always. Well, I don't say ruined it all, but his creative genius, he's got a couple up there, and this was his idea, 100%, and we need to give him all the credit for it. Yes, I'm totally. Gonna, today's episode is really presented by what happened when. Totally Would agree. You, is that fair to say? I think it's super fair to say. Uh, one last question, and then we'll talk about next week, which is going to be fun. Jesse wants to know who's a more committed actor slash wrestler, David Arquette or Andy Kaufman? <laughs> it's completely, it's not even apples and oranges. It's apples and T-bones. I mean, Kaufman did his comedy routine about wrestling women on Saturday night live. I mean, it's, uh, David pretty much kept his world separate because, but we combined them obviously with the movies, but, but. Kaufman, his commitment, when you really think about that, Conrad, and think about the links that Andy thought this through in his comedy act and Saturday Night Live, but then when he came down, I mean, I'll never forget in that clip that's on TV, him in Nashville making fun of hillbillies, nothing but money. I mean, so I, I think I think Kaufman's commitment um, David was cast for ready to rumble. That's how he originally got into wrestling. Yes. He had fandom Kaufman took his own core act. Yes, he did. And, 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 and wrestled women and everything that went with it. So next week is going to be, uh, well, a little different because what we decided to do was hmm. put you guys in control. So we're not picking the topic you are. We put a poll out on Twitter. If you haven't already go follow us at my world pod by now, the, uh, by the time you're hearing this, the voting is closed, but as you and I are recording this, Jeff's USWA run got 19 and a half percent. By the way, you guys nominated the topics. The top four were put on a poll and we're running through it. Jeff's USWA run, which I thought for sure was going to do very well. Only got 19 and a half percent. It's 20%. Well, it's decent, but I thought bound for glory of six, where there was an unfortunate incident and it is probably the most discussed thing that ever happened at bound for glory. And it's where the dirt is, as Jim Barnett would say, only got 13.6%. That blew me away. Thankfully, I don't think we'll be talking about you and the horseman in 96, 97, but we almost did. It got 28.6%. But it looks right now, and again, there's nine hours left as you and I are recording this, the TNA Monday night debut at 38.2% is probably what we're talking about next week. And I bet there's a lot Hmm. to unpack in that story. (laughs) Oh boy. So let me make sure that, uh, the Monday night debut, right? Yep. Yep. Brett and Sean on the opposite channel or on the, uh, Monday night raw after all those years <laughs> of great. Bret Hart being away from the company, I'll never go back. Never under any circumstance. Even when he came back and went in the hall of fame, he made sure Sean wasn't in the building and he did not go to WrestleMania because he knew Sean would be there, but yes, he's on that Monday night raw. I'm not sure if this is the episode where they actually shook hands, but either way, that's what we're talking about next week. In a lot of ways, and I can remember having conversations, and we'll get into it next week, that says a lot about what Vince McMahon thought about TNA. 
the same Monday. Conrad's just, it's just, who would have thunk? <laughs> it says a lot to me. And, and it did that night. It, it just, to this day. Are you looking forward to talking about that hypothetically if it wins or is this more of a, oh man, wish we would have uh, done that. You know, it was a, um, we'll have to do a lot of sort of setting the stage and the context. And I was, you know, off of the Oh nine debacle or however you want to say it. And I'll politically, um, be as diplomatically as possible to that, but coming back, uh, into that, uh, you know, I was still minority owner, but not in a creative role whatsoever and coming off the success we had in 2009, I, I was um, sitting back and going to see how this was going to uh, going to unfold. Um, but in a lot of ways, and we'll get into it next week, and I'll probably leave it at this. The writing was on the wall internally in so many in so many ways that um, man had I had it to do over again. Communication is the key to any relationship. And I've said it a couple of times on here before, and we'll get into it in the future. But I, I really couldn't say a lot, but man, I wish in a lot of ways I would have communicated with some others because it was very obvious to me. Coming up next week, Jeff, here it is, whatever the fans pick. And if you missed your opportunity, don't do it again. We're going to be doing these polls every so often. The only way to get involved or to ask Jeff a question is to follow us on Twitter at my world pod. Of course, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And, uh, we're doing bonus stuff all the time over there. And I think if the rumor and innuendo is true, Jeff, sooner rather than later, we're going to have a big announcement. We're on the heels oh. of top guy weekend, but I think, uh, here we grow again. we got some new content coming and maybe some new shows coming. You never know what's coming, but you don't want to miss it at adfreeshows.com. Uh, Jeff, this was a fun episode. I appreciate you being so open and honest and vulnerable for us. Uh, I'm excited about next week, but I'm also excited about September 28th when we'll talk no surrender 2006. We're also in the month of October. going to talk about when TNA was flirting with Hulk Hogan. We're going to cover all the backstory of the infamous Austin 316 blasphemous promo that perhaps cost you a little bit of money bound for glory, 2006. <laughs> and of course, selling to Panda energy, all of that is on deck for a really fun October. Uh, man, my world continues to be the highlight of my week, man. Greatly appreciate the time today and looking forward to next week. Connie, you didn't get aggravated at me today. You didn't snap at me and my shirt. Don't chastise me. I, I was, I, I wore it specially for you. Of course, you can go to boxagimmicks.com if you'd like that. But, Conrad, we got along today. Wouldn't you say we got along pretty good? And we had a pretty good run-in, apparently run more in. than once. That, that, huh? I, that I didn't even see. We had a, a run-in multiple times. I had my headphones on, didn't even know. I was getting sneak attacked. Yes, you were. And I was just rolling. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys and girls, hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned next week. It looks like we're talking about the TNA Monday night debut, but uh, don't miss another poll. It's at my world pod and we'll be back next week and every week right here on my world. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> 
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.